Welcome, everybody. If you've been walking down this way, then you are in violation of jaywalking. That's right. You are at Jubilee Street, a music podcast where each week we talk about some music, sometimes Nick Cave or other various artists. I'm joined today by my seminal co-host, Ian McCurtis. Ian, why don't you say hi to everybody? Hi to everybody. And I am Jake Curtis. Uh, Hola. Hi to everybody as well. Uh, Ian, why don't you tell the listeners, the jaywalkers, what we're going to be talking about today. Today we are talking about where do we go now, but nowhere from the boatman's call. The carnival drums, oh man in the air, grim reapers and skeletons and a missionary bell. Oh, where do we go now, but nowhere in a colonial hotel? So, Ian, as you sit on your drums, are mad in the air. The clinical benches with nothing to talk about. That's a, like a Bukowski line if I've ever heard one. I'm just going to go right into it. I think this is another reason why Boatman's Call is becoming one of my favorite albums to, to just put on and listen to. Makes me feel good. I like this one. It's got a nice somberness to it. Again, they're kind of touching on the you know, general themes that we've talked about in past episodes with Lime Tree Arbor and Brompton Oratory, and Ian, I am curious about something. Um, This song made me think of a newer Nick Cave song, which technically isn't a Bad Seed song because it was recorded with Warren during the Carnage session. Uh, Can you guess which song I'm talking about? Um, Let's see. Is it Balcony Man because the Balcony line? Balcony Man. So what made me think about it is in a colonial hotel, we fucked up the sun, which is awesome. And then we <laughs> fucked down, fucked it down again. <laughs> well, the sun comes up and the sun goes down. And then, um, I don't know, there is this connection with Nick Cave lyrics and hotels. And that line in a colonial hotel just really stuck out to me as well because... Um, I was looking on Genius uh, for the lyrics. Um, I, I use that and then the Nick Cave website. Sometimes people annotate the songs on Genius, so I like to use it. So this is just, uh, this isn't like a verified person, but they said the lines, I remember a girl so very well and in a colonial hotel, recall Chelsea Hotel Number 2 by Leonard Cohen, which also talks of moments of sexual intimacy in a Getting hotel head. setting. Getting head. Yeah, yes. giving me head on the unmade bed or whatever. Uh-huh. And um, so I thought you might find that interesting. It kind of piqued my interest to like dive into these lyrics a little bit more. Um, what are your initial thoughts, reactions? Uh, uh, to what? Well, to like, I'm, I guess my initial uh, question for you was that I was trying to connect like, m- might there be like a connection for this album to Carnage? Because the... Mainly, I know this is kind of a stretch, but the color of the text, which, you know, he's put red on the cover of his records before, but, you know, I was like, the boatman's call is in red with like a black and white picture of him against a brick wall, which is, you know, very of the time for a band like this. And then Carnage is the black, red, white background, Nick Cave Warren Ellis. I don't know. 
is there some through line here? Maybe am I, I, I am purposefully stretching this to see if maybe there's something to be mined with like a connection between like, cause there's a lot of traveling in carnage. There's a lot of isolation in that. And I also feel that way with Boatman's call. Could be, I think, I've, I don't know where he sits with it now, but I know in the past he said he's not a big fan of this album. Boatman's Call, I mean, not Carnage. So maybe Carnage was his attempt at that type of songwriting again. I don't know. You could be onto something. It is the same shade of red. I, I think other than that, um, this of the, the Boatman's Call songs that we've covered in the last month or so, half month, this is my favorite one we've done. It's it's a pretty long song. I think it's almost six minutes. And it's really effective. I think more effective than Lime Tree Arbor or Brompton Oratory, which I think are, you know, a little less downtrodden and a bit more uplifting, I think. I really like this song. And you like you said, the carnival drums all mad in the air. Grim Reapers and Skeletons and a Missionary Bell. The song this made me think of was As I Sat Sadly by Her Side, which we did. Great song. I don't know. Six months ago or so at this point. Uh-huh. Um, in that, I think that song is about sort of a breakup where two people just can't love each other like they used to. It's just not, they're not the same anymore. And that sort of feeling when you just know things aren't going to work out and both people want to love each other, but it's just not working, which is something we've all felt, whether it be a romantic thing or a relationship with one of our parents or a sibling where like you, both the people wish they were close, but they're not close anymore. This song, I think, is the saddest song on the record. And I think it's a similar theme, but instead of two people that can't love each other anymore. I think this song is about someone has just done something to ruin the relationship and you're not even mad. It's just, where do we go about Where do we go now? But nowhere. It's just, it's over. Like there's no point even being mad anymore. It's just, this is the end. And that's really sad. You've moved into that like empty acceptance phase of the ending. Yeah. Of the and that's like, I don't know. I, I don't know, Jake. I've been in a weird <laughs> emotional place lately. I don't know if it's COVID finally catching up to me. I don't know if it's the winter. But like when I watch movies now, like I cry at things I didn't used to. Mm-hmm. Just things get me more often than they used to. And this song, <laughs> when we were listening to it now for the pod, I was like, this song is so much sadder than I remember it being. Really got to me. Well, we got a whole lot more to lose as 30 year olds than we do as, you know, 20 year olds. And I think it has a lot to do with you, you know, we're, we've both been in like long-term relationships and I think that there's a good chance that, you know, there's more fear of that, like going away, you know, we've gotten more comfortable And it's scary because there are things that we might have to address about ourselves that, you know, having made it this long, I've talked to my therapist about this and, you know, I asked him, I'm like, is there something to this shit about like your brain 
telling you the older you get, like the like you have more anxiety and like you're more impacted by these emotions because like you're not supposed to be alive this long, like because we're really just animals. Like, and you know, he didn't he kind of gave me like a non-answer about it, which he tends to do a lot, but I think it's kind of the job as a therapist to like approach questions more so without giving definitive answers and more so like guidance for you to how to think about and like better yourself. But I don't know. I've, I've been yeah, in and out job of, to be a life coach. Yeah. I mean, they can be if you want them to be, and he does that often, but, um, anywho, yeah, no, this is, this is a sad one. Um, that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. And I think like, there's a thing that you and I can both relate to where there are moments in your life and being that we both were surrounded by pretty, that people that we truly, truly loved and, and, and admired, we made decisions at some point in our life where we didn't want to put up with that behavior that they would you know, sort of enact around us and onto us. And we had to you know, let them go, so to speak. Because we couldn't watch them decay the way that we were beginning to watch them decay in front of us. And, you know, some of them are still here with us. Others have moved on, you know, passed away. And to me, this song really epitomizes the, like, idea of this. And this is a pretty big trope in TV with, like, addicts or, like, alcoholics, but you sometimes have that friend where they're like a bar buddy and you have all these like good times with your bar buddy, but you go to the doctor and the doctor says, if you keep drinking like this, we're going to have to take your, you're you're going to have to get your like a liver transplant or you're going to die. And it doesn't always have to be that dire, but it might be a moment where you're like, yeah, I can't drink anymore. And then that friend's like, come on, man, who cares what the doctor says? Most people, you know, I've been drinking for 50 years and I'm fine. And it's like, you know, you got to leave him behind or you die. And I think it's one of those difficult things about being older is that there are certain things that are like no brainers for you anymore. Like, sorry, I'm not going to hang out with a bunch of people doing drugs again. I'm, I'm not interested in getting blackout drunk anymore. I might have a drink or two. I might get tipsy or you know, smoke a little weed or something, but I haven't, I personally haven't even done that. And it's really hard because like going more global with the theme of this song is it's about him getting out of his addiction. And there are lines that directly, you know, apply to that. And I think that there are relationships that people are in when they're addicted to drugs and they might, the drugs might be a part of it or they might be a part of them in the relationship. And then when they go get clean, from this fresh, clean, antiseptic air behind the locked gates and old donkey moans. Oh, where do we go but nowhere? Around the duck pond, we grimly mope. Gloomily and mournfully, we go rounds again. And one more doomed time without much hope. And it's like, if heroin is your mistress, you know, it is every time you go around the pond, it's one more doomed time until you break off from that cycle and you walk down the, you know, you walk down the other path and you stop following that duck that's got you like hypnotized in the pond that you're chasing with all that, with the drugs. And to wrap up this long tangent is like, 
it's difficult to like maintain relationships after you've made a big decision in your life. And there's probably a lot of people that whether it, you know, I, I, I have, there's an annotation here that Nick got divorced from his first wife, um, Vivian Carniero in 1996, uh, which was before this album was released. And so it, it's definitely like, you know, it's sad in short, it's really sad, you know, and, you know, getting clean sometimes means that you come out the other side, you know, scathed, you do have battle wounds, you know, you have people that you've lost, like, when, I don't know, we can edit this out if, if we're uncomfortable about it, but our good friend Cody Ray, the last time I remember having a friendship with him was the summer of 2012 and I hadn't seen him in a long time our house was kind of in shambles he'd been doing a lot of drugs and I stopped coming home because I didn't want to constantly be living in like a punk house and we could do a whole podcast you know we've mentioned it on other episodes but we could do a whole podcast about that time it was it was crazy unhinged drug party lifestyle all the time. And I was a part of it for a long time. And I went to meet up with him and I hadn't seen him for a long time. And there was this like tension boiling the whole night. We went to like Silver Dollar and, you know, it was weird. I kind of tried to chat him up about TV shows like we had always done, but there was like this wall up. And I had one up too, you know, because I knew he wasn't happy with the way that I'd kind of like distanced myself because I was dating somebody and I got pulled into this, you know, relationship and eventually we'll end up at some random person's apartment. I don't even remember where we were at. I'd probably had a couple of drinks by then. And then we ended up back at 7th Street and I didn't live there anymore. I'm pretty sure I'd moved out at the time, but I can't remember. But I just remember... There was a break where there were like six people there. Uh, I won't say their names. There's two of them I won't mention because I don't know them and I don't. But it was me, Chad, Tyler, and then Cody. And the two other people left after this happened. But Cody started like breaking shit and like throwing shit around the room. And he was so fucked up that he was like asking me to like hit him and yell at him. And and it was at that moment where I knew he was out of control and this wasn't the guy that I had loved. And he had made this decision to be unhappy with himself. And that's what this song really reminded me of is the crack of the drum, a little child did scare. I can still his, see his fingers pressed in my hand Oh, where do we go but nowhere? If I could relive one day of my life, if I could relive just a single one, you on the balcony. And that made me think of hanging out with Cody behind our apartment on 7th Street where I'd get home. And again, longtime listeners probably have heard this story, but you know, if not, I'd hear this voice, Yakabee. <laughs> and I would, you know, walk up the back stoop and he'd be there and he'd, you know, he'd hand me a beer and we'd hang out and fucking watch TV shows and movies and be goofy together. And yeah, it, it, there's a, there, it was, it sucked because 
He lost his shit that night. He like pushed an air conditioning unit out of a window, which would be hilarious if it, you know, hadn't almost come close to like crushing my foot. And forgive me, Ian, if I've gone on for a long time, but like, I think I kind of finally get Boatman's Call. And I think that the title of that album is very grim. And I think that this song is healing in a way, but it's also very upsetting. And I understand what you mean about how you can change over time and you react to things more emotionally, 100%. I think what makes this the most sad to me is, you know, it makes me think of all those people you mentioned. It makes me think of our friends like Chad and Tyler when they would date people. I remember they were dating uh, these two girls, Claire and Sydney, at the same time who were like best friends. And we all became like friends together and it, it felt really good. It was, you know, it sucks when your friend's dating someone you aren't friends with and it's nice when you have this whole friend group and everyone's friends with each other and it felt great. And then yeah. as the relationship went on, it was like, you know, my friends aren't good for them or they aren't good for my, you know, either way it's not working and that sucks because you like the people and, that's what this song makes me think of is when two people like each other, you like everyone involved in the situation and it's still bad. And that's like, you'd almost rather just dislike the person. It's easy when you're dating someone you go to not like, or your friends dating someone you don't like and you just write them off. It's hard mm -hmm. when you still deep down think they're a good person. So this song, the part that really gets me is the part about making a cake full of glass and bleach and razor blades. Like, two people in a relationship trying to do something nice for each other, but it's just mm -hmm. enabling the bad things. Yeah. And this song hits me because this is a song of someone realizing that. Like, oh, I realize this person makes me worse. And we had so many friends who never got to this song. Like, they never got to that point where they realized it. And it just got worse and worse and... They might end up dead or not in a very good place. This reminds me a lot of the long-term I was relationship I was about to exit around the time all that stuff with Cody had happened. And I think this reminds me a lot of like when she told me that we were going to break up and I got I, I was I was a lot more sad when it happened cuz it you know it was scary because you don't really know what you're going to do from there. And our lives have become so intertwined, you know? But I got out of it and I was stronger for it. And it was really tough, but there were also moments where we would both do these like really awful things to each other. And I can't speak for her, but like I would definitely like kind of like fuck with her. And like, I remember there was this one night where you know, actually, I don't really know how pertinent this is to the podcast. So I'm actually going to basically I would do these things where I would kind of try to scare her and I would never, it was never like anything like fucked up or anything like that, but it, it was like to start fights. And I remember that this kind of like sentiment of like the making a cake 
you know, but like putting your hair or glass in there. Like I remember I would, I was like trying to self-sabotage the relationship. You know, I was trying to like freak her out and like just not have to like break up with her on my own. And eventually she pulled the trigger and did it. And, you know, we're on good terms now. You know, I wish her the best. She's not really someone that I talk to any very often. I, I don't, I have a varying relationship with like how to deal with exes. And I think that sometimes not talking to your ex at all is the way to go. And um, I don't need to have any involvement in your life after we've dated. And then, but I haven't dated that many people. But I, I think this is an important song for the record. And um, especially considering the songs that come after it, like Idiot Prayer, I think makes those songs even more impactful as you, you know, move through the sequencing on that record. Yeah, I think this is like, uh, I don't know if I'd say it's my favorite song on the record, but it's emotionally like the centerpiece of the record. It it does make mm-hmm. all the other songs better because it's there. Your, your thing about picking at people to start fights... Uh, I don't know. I've never been that type. I feel like I'm the type to lash out at myself internally more than at other people. But it does make me really think about what you were talking about, meeting up with Cody and how he had a wall up. And as, you know, I haven't drank since I was 18. I've never really done drugs. So as someone who's always been sober around a friend group that was very much not, Mm -hmm. I feel like people... I would have friends that would get inebriated, get fucked up, whatever. And then a lot of times I feel like they thought I had a superiority complex and would like <laughs> lash out. And I mean, I've had a lot of friends say really fucked up things to me when they were drunk because I think they kind of resented me and were too emotionally stunted to like talk about these things sober. And mm-hmm. that stuff really hurts like that. You know, I, I I think about the same thing with this song, Jake, and it brings back bad memories. Yeah, I mean, you've known me for a long time. I've I've definitely said some not great stuff to you that was hurtful to our relationship. But I wasn't I, thinking so much of you when you when you've done stuff like that. I knew and immediately in the moment you didn't mean it. Yeah, there's been things that like Cody would say or Cody said I don't some go into names, but there there were things that people would say where like. I knew they meant them. Yeah, and you know, to kind of go off on a little bit of a tangent here, because I do think that we enter into a territory with like being respectful of the people we're talking about. And I I do feel like we should mention like Ian especially, but we both had a bond with Cody that we could write an entire book about. And we could you know, talk about him for hours and we do and we continue to and he comes up in all of our conversations and I think about Cody all the time and I think about Cody's best parts and I think about his worst parts and we went to his funeral, you know, we held each other when we were there and we saw all these fucking people come up there who enabled him and acted like they were upset that this happened and um you know if anyone's going to be like a ravaged avenger it's going to be us like you know yeah that was hard i would give anything to 
have Cody around again and just show him what I've been doing and share like the book that I wrote and like the screenplays that I wrote because a lot of my efforts in doing that stuff is for him because I truly believed that if Cody believed in himself more, like he could have been, could you imagine if Cody had a podcast, how great that would be? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or like he had a YouTube channel or just somewhere that he could be him. Um, and so I, I just want to say that, you know, we talk about him with admiration and how much we miss him and he is a big part of our lives. So, you know, to any listeners that think we might be, you know, but to go back to what you were saying, Cody said some shit that cut deep, like, and it's because he was really hurt, you know, like somebody else, not us hurt Cody. And I think like, I wish so much for him that he had moved past whatever he got blocked on, you know? And he was pretty close a lot of the time, but still he would like, he just needed to, he just needed whatever he needed, you know? And um, yeah, yeah. A lot of times the saddest Nick Cave songs get us talking about, you know, more interesting like life events that I think kind of color our life as more interesting than just, you know, two guys that used to go to shows a lot and, you know, like no FX and rancid and, you know, now we both really like rap and all kinds of music and comics and books and movies and, you know, everything that makes us who we are. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't expect the episode to go this route. Honestly, I, I wasn't, this was one episode where I, I usually kind of have like an idea of what how I want to approach the song and this one kind of went like left field, as Chad liked to say. Left field. I think curve. this is a, uh, this is one of the most, you know, we haven't done a dense song like this in a minute. So yeah, yeah. no telling where it's going to go. I think something important that you touched on is how you do stuff now. Um creatively artistically with Cody in mind like if he could just see this you know Mm -hmm. because I I do the same and I think some people are motivated to do great things internally but most people aren't I'm not I don't think you are we need like other people and I think that's a, a, a nice thing to take away from this song the the line where he talks about um if I could relive a day of my life, it'd be you as my future bride. Like that whole section. Mm-hmm. You could imagine Nick Cave like writing these songs for that person he used to love. Like that's no longer that person anymore, but he's thinking of the person they used to be. I think yeah. that's something we can all take away from it is like, I do the same thing. I write things or I make music with Cody in mind or, other people I've known who died or not even people who died, people who I was close to in high school that aren't people I would be friends with anymore. But I think about how they used to be when they were 16 and know if they could see this now, what would they think? Yeah. Like that's, that's something nice to have to like fuel Mm -hmm. yourself. Are you familiar with the uh, serenity prayer that gets brought up in the second verse? I'm not. I, I actually meant to look it up. I'm guessing you did. Uh, it's it's on the Genius page, actually. Um, so 
the annotations show that tea and biscuits are like a very light meal for a recovering addict because you know they don't have a lot of. Uh, I, I'm guessing this was he, he must have done uh, rehab in London or something like that. It sounds very English. Nothing's um, going to hurt your stomach. But the Serenity Prayer was invented by uh, an American theologian in the 1930s who which was later adopted by Alcoholics Anonymous and 12-step programs. Um, Oh, I know what it is. Do you know what author of ours loves that prayer? I'm going to guess like Stephen King, but I I don't don't know. Maybe Murakami. It's Kurt Vonnegut. I think it's in Slaughterhouse-Five. He's like, this is... You know the most the most beautiful thing ever written, or something like that. You know. Oh yeah. Oh God, give us the serenity to accept what we yeah, cannot be. I think it's in Slaughterhouse Five. What cannot be changed, the courage to change what we what can be changed, and the wisdom to know the one from the other. I mean, really, truly, that is like yeah, one of the best things sentiment. ever written. And it really is. Like you know, I'm not. I don't usually like things called prayers, but that is a good code to live your life by. Absolutely. I, and I, I think like that makes the song even more impactful because like there were times where you and I were in the gutter, so to speak. And, you know, I've never been suicidal, like truly suicidal, but I've definitely felt like I didn't want to, you know, be alive anymore at various times in my life. Like I was just tired of Having to be alive, but I think that that sentiment, the courage to change what can be changed. My early adult life, like 18 to 22, I thought that was just a lot like, you know, we we were around depressed people all the time. I just thought that that was like, okay, once you're not a kid anymore, you just want to die all the time. That's just life. Like, that sounds yeah. really dark, but I just didn't know, like, all the people we were around felt that way. That's how I felt. I was tired and slightly sick all the time from not... Treating myself right and like, I was yeah. just like, this is how it is, you know? Imagine if you treated yourself like that now, like how you used to work at PetSmart, like have to go in at like two or three in the morning. You just, you would just sleep from like 10 to two or something, or 10 to one thirty, and then drive to work. Talk yeah, about Yeah, I'm sure, you basketball. know, three or four hours of sleep a day makes you depressed, but I didn't realize that, you know? I was just like, this is how it is. I can vouch for that because I've been, you know, knock on wood. I I have I had a great sleep last night and um I'm hoping to do it again tonight but you know it can really fuck with your brain for sure. Um Yeah, I mean now if I get 3 hours of sleep in a night I don't feel great mentally the next day and I know myself well enough to know that's why but when you're 18 you don't you're just like you know you just take it for granted you just like this is how it is. Well, it's just like the older you get, the more aware you become of your problems because you also know you're older. So you're more like you're you've been standing on your legs for thirty years. So there's bound to be like some kind of like damage you've done to your knee from like bending it too much or you know running into the wrong mosh pit. So I can still yeah. run into any mosh pit at any time. Don't worry, listeners. There was one time where Ian stage dove into a crowd that did not catch him. And it and I feel horrible about that all the time. Knock on wood, I've never gotten hurt in a mosh pit, and I've been in quite a few. It's because you're so like you're like egg from Arrested Development. Like you got a low center of gravity, so like you can't be knocked down, and no no one can hurt you. You're like colossus. I guess so. No one's ever swung at me in my face. Thank God, I've been very lucky. Yeah. So I guess 
I think there was one last thing I wanted to bring up. Uh, the chorus. Um, so the chorus changes at the end of the song. Oh, wake up, my love, my lover, make up. And then it's, oh, wake up, my love, my lover, wake up. And um, I think it's a great way to end the song because it's very, I think that even though this song is very sad, I think there's like this, like, it's it's like tinged with like that sepia tone of hope, you know? Like it it's it's like the flashback or the flash forward to like 30 years later and Captain America is like sitting on the bench with gray hair and you know it's got like a a very like big Marvel guy quality Jake to it. Yeah. Well, I just want to, you know, the to all the plebeians out there who only know about the Marvel <laughs> movies, they might get that reference like Corey Lucas. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, it's um, not to throw any band. You know, th- that's what separates this from like Law Dispute. Like, yeah, um, for something to be truly sad, you have to tinge it with a little bit of hope, with a little bit of happiness, because that makes it even more sad. Like, uh-huh. you know, that bullshit. Like, you can't have light without the dark. That's true. Like, mm-hmm. any emotion is going to be stronger if you balance it with a little bit of the opposite, as opposed to like emo music being mm-hmm. so one thing. It kind of mm-hmm. becomes cheesy, you know. Yep, that's how you make these things subtle. Is you add a little bit of hope in there, you add a little bit of light. Kind of like uh, what was that guy's name? The Bam guy, Emerald. Emerald. It's like what Emerald does, you know. You got to add that little Bam of hope at the end of the song, you know, leaving the audience feeling a little bit better. You know, it's like the uh, end credit sequence at the end of a Marvel movie. It gets you excited about the next movie <laughs> well, that's coming out. we go again, Marvel. <laughs> oh, man. The only, yeah. man, so I, I had notes, but like this episode went a different way, and I'm glad it did because I, I like this a lot. But I guess one thing I do want to make sure we talk about is when that violin comes in, is it the second so to last verse? Yeah. That like makes the song, like thank you, Warren mm-hmm. Ellis, for... Oh man, that like takes it to another level. The way the violin is in- interacting with the, I guess it's Conway Savage on piano, probably. Mm-hmm. Sounds right. It's so beautiful. One of the best yeah. violin parts in a bad seed song. Yeah, uh, my friend Ringo Starr said that it's his favorite violin solo. Really? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Do you he think we can up. get him on the pod next week? He said that he does not deal with people who wear masks, which was, I was like, oh, anti-masker. Did you hear the new Kanye song where he said, I don't negotiate with therapist? <laughs> Such is that a the, good line. Is that the song with the game? Yeah. Yeah, that was a good, that was the best song I've heard since uh, No Child Left Behind by him. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. is, is, mm-hmm. Is is that it, Jake? Is there anything else you want to add? Or no, uh, I'm sorry we didn't get to any of your notes, but um, I think that this is a song that would be worthy of being revisited in like a year or two on the podcast. So um, well, I think these songs, this is when it calls for it. I, I love doing this kind of episode. That, that's what makes this pod what it is. Well, I imagine at this rate we ought to just do like a boatman's call residency. If I haven't already mentioned that on past episodes, so. We'll probably close out the month with another one of these and, uh, you know, move into some new territory for uh, February. Maybe we'll do some romance songs. Hmm? Maybe. I was That's thinking maybe 
We'll maybe do an accursive, maybe doing Domestica or uh, our favorite like Valentine's Day records or something. Oh, doing a uh, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. Going a little off topic, off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Going a little hall Hallmark card. A little Hall notes. Know? Maybe we'll do a Flag Day episode for March or whenever Flag Day. Our favorite is. <laughs> patriotic uh, American. Our favorite. Uh, what is it? John Philip Sousa marches. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, no, d- listen, John <laughs> Philip Sousa wrote some great, great songs. I remember really like... Well, yeah, as a, as a tuba player, that's like your chance to shine. It's John it's, Philip Sousa. Yep. Uh, Ian, I'm going to go ahead and uh, write the ship, take us home, so to speak. Uh, everybody, the boat please, ch- please check us out on Apple Podcasts. You can rate, like, subscribe... To all our episodes, we put an episode out a week. Um, We've been pretty regular about that for a while. Uh, You can also now, uh, it's a new feature, you can, um, I believe you can leave a rating on Spotify, correct? Correct. So on Spotify, you can uh, leave us a rating. We'd love five stars. If you leave anything other than five stars, we will send out Ringo Starr and Blue the Intern Dog to track you down and make you... They're getting a Marvel movie. Play Ringo's patented reverse fills. So be careful. Uh, you can also check us out at Jubilee Street Pod on Instagram, Jubilee Street Pod at gmail.com for all your mailbag questions. If you'd like to ask us questions, tell us how much you like the podcast, tell us that we suck and we need to do things better, tell us that we need to do merch or whatever. If you think there's anything that, if there's an episode you'd like to hear, uh, if you don't like our opinions, fucking write us in and tell us and we'll talk to you about it. Uh, and I believe that's everything. We're, we've got a Facebook page. It's not incredibly active. I'd recommend just uh, getting an Instagram if you can and you can access it on your desktop and you can follow us there. I update there every couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, thanks everybody. You uh, did the right thing by uh, violating the law and jaywalking today. We will see you next week. Have a blessed and wonderful time until then we love you bless up jake I-, I wish i knew how to make mashup albums that's something i should learn how to do Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. you know what would be a great one is like uh boatman's calling london or something like that london calling by the clash and boatman's call a mashup album london boatman's call something like that yeah that'd be a good they, mashup. they'd like that for a uh, fart simpson on uh office hours live he does all those mashups I would love to. Maybe I'll do that this year. Learn how to make mashups. I got so many ideas like that. I got so many big ideas. Laughing and brazen and big sits gnawing in her knuckles in the chemical light. Oh, where do we go now? We're nowhere. You come for me now with a cake that you've made, ravaged Avenger. With a clip in your head Full of glass and bleach And my old razor blades old